0: Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio, I'm your host Bill DeFillippo. Uh It's been a while, Nick Pollock since we've done a podcast for a myriad of reasons. Uh, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing well. It's been a while since we've done a podcast that actually made it to SoundCloud, yes. I should
0: say. So, what ended up happening was uh, last, was it last Monday, or last Sunday, uh Early last week. Yeah, it was last Sunday. Nick and I were doing a podcast, and as we were doing everything, uh, it was announced that Joe Moorhead was a serious contender for the head coaching job at Mississippi State. Uh, We're going to talk about that in a second, but we, on the fly, start talking about it. A day passes, uh, and... For whatever reason, I couldn't get the podcast uploaded. And next thing you know, Joe Moorhead is the head football coach at Mississippi State. So we just scrapped that. That's where you heard the episode with Matt and I talking our way through it and whatnot. But yeah, Nick, it's been a while since we've podcasted. Uh, I think the place to start is with uh, a a little bit of offensive coordinator talk. I mean, it's far enough in the past, and I don't think we should spend too terribly much time on it, but before we get into the uh, promotion of Ricky Ronnie and elements of that, what are just your general thoughts, because the folks haven't heard that, on uh, Penn State losing Joe Moorhead?
1: My initial reaction is that I'm really, really happy for Joe Moorhead, because by all accounts, and I mean by some I mean, personal accounts for a bunch of us. Um, he's just a really, really, really cool dude and a really, really smart football coach, and he definitely deserves this. Um, and I, I also like that James Franklin let him interview for the Purdue job last year, seemed to have no, um, no qualms against him interviewing for jobs this year. Uh, because I think that's the kind of culture and the kind of environment you want to create for your coaches. One of the things that um, I'm going to talk about the Seahawks real quick. Have I ever mentioned on here that I'm a Seahawks fan? I'm kidding. Um, No, no, it's okay.
0: You could talk about it. Y'all beat the Eagles this week.
1: Oh, this is true. Uh, One of the things that I love about the way Pete Carroll goes about his business in the NFL is that he – um like he he has no problem with any of his assistants ever interviewing for promotions like at any point i mean dan quinn um he was florida's defensive coordinator and then got hired by seattle to be the defensive coordinator and then a year later he was the atlanta falcons atlanta falcons head coach and he was letting him do an interview the week before the super bowl like he he his policy is that if you are a good enough coach to have an opportunity to be to get a better job elsewhere then do it because that creates that culture that makes other coaches want to go there like there's very few coaches who don't have aspirations of moving on to something better eventually so if you create this culture that says it's okay to want to do something more just because if you're doing your job the best you can while you're here you're going to have a chance to do that so i i'm happy how franklin went about it um I know some guys do a few different things. I know uh, Urban Meyer kind of has this handshake agreement with every coach he gets that they'll be there for two years at least and then move on. Obviously, there's a lot of turnover on the coaching staff at Ohio State because they have such great coaches. So, I mean, there's different ways to go about it. But, I am I mean, I, I'm really pleased with the way Franklin handled it and Penn State handled it. I'm super, super happy for Joe Moorhead. Um I'd, obviously I'm going to miss him a lot. He's an amazing offensive coach, and I think uh, some fans who complained about the way the Ohio State and Michigan State games are called probably are, I mean. There,
0: there, there's I'm, a big lack of context uh, to yeah. uh, being upset and, about those games.
1: I, I, and I, we, I, we, don't exactly, we don't know exactly what it will look like under Rick Arani this year. We'll talk about it in a second, but. Uh, don't be surprised if there's a step back in which case I think people start to realize how much of a difference Joe Moorhead really make really made and I think when we step back maybe in a couple years or so and really really look at what changed when Joe Moorhead took over at Penn State I think we'll appreciate him even more Um, so sad he's gone but really really happy for the man
0: yeah and uh, Penn State fans were spoiled for the long, and, and, and I don't mean this as like a derogatory term. Penn State fans really were spoiled for the longest time in that uh, Penn State's coaches just stuck around for a long time. I mean, uh, yep. so apologies for this, like. Hell noise that you might hear in my background, uh, I'm turning it off right now. If any of you are experts on oil heating, please email me after uh, you listen to this edition of the podcast uh, but yeah, I mean when you think of Penn state, you think of you think of a guy like Larry Johnson. He was at Penn State from nineteen ninety six to two thousand and thirteen. That is insane, and he stayed a defensive line slash a you know, defensive end whatever coach that entire time. That kind of long doesn't happen, right? That does not happen. So, I, I I have to admit, I'm very happy with how I th- with how a lot of Penn State fans I saw took Moorhead leaving. Uh, I think a lot of people th- saw it was an inevitability, uh, knew it wasn't a Bob Shoop situation where a guy is, you know, just kind of leaving for reasons that don't totally seem genuine, uh, waiting for the same job, but he left to take a really, really good job, uh, and it, y- you know what, good for him, I think everyone was really happy about that, but this is also kind of a new thing for Penn State, where uh, every year, with the program and the structure that James Franklin has put in place here, people are going to want to come and look at Penn State's position coaches for coordinator jobs and coordinators for head coaching jobs. I mean, we're seeing that right now uh, with a report that came out earlier on Wednesday that uh, Brent Pry is one of the names that's being kicked around a lot for the Louisiana Lafayette job. I mean, losing both coordinators in the same offseason isn't ideal. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it's still something you'd probably rather not do. But all that, like, that is a reflection on what Penn State has and how other schools want to replicate that at their universities. And I mentioned this on the pod after he left, as a testament to really just what is being built here in Happy Valley that's really cool. And yeah, it's a little bit different from what Penn State fans are used to in the past, but sometimes the future, while it's an unknown, it's a really cool thing. And it's something that as long as it doesn't lead to Penn State taking a massive step back as a program, um, I don't think it would like it's going to really ruffle any feathers or anything like that. Uh, and n- I-, I think this is the point where we go into talking about Ricky Ronnie, uh, pe- one of uh, James Franklin's guys. He was with Franklin at uh, Vanderbilt. He was with Franklin here for his entire tenure after uh, John Donovan got kicked to the curb, Ronnie took over play calling duty in the Tax Slayer Bowl, and he always seemed like one of those guys who, when Joe Moorhead left, he was going to get the most serious look. So, Nick, what are I know you wrote about it a little bit today, but and I think you probably share most of my thoughts, but are you happy with Ronnie? or is there someone else that you might have had your eye on that you wish was able to you know, come to Happy Valley and whatnot?
1: I am happy with Ronnie. I think it was the right choice. I, I understand why people, I mean, myself included, I think it would have been fun to have Andrew Briner come over, but then again, is also still a pretty young guy. He, While he was Joe Moorhead's offense coordinator at Fordham, Moorhead clearly had a lot of faith in him, had a lot of trust in him, so... Obviously, he's gonna have. I really need to stop saying obviously. I that I say that way too much. Regardless, clearly there's a lot that he does well, but I think he could probably stand for um, just a maybe a few more years of kind of crafting uh, his offense at Fordham. So I I do think Ricky Ronnie was well, the right oh, choice.
0: oh, did did you miss it? Briner, oh, Bryner's Bryner's heading to Mississippi. He yeah.
1: Oh, uh, that's cool. I'm glad. Yeah, nice. That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad for that. Um that's So wait, so, uh so is he going to be the co offense coordinator with Huff?
0: Uh I know I'm pretty sure he's quarterbacks coach uh okay. and then a uh, passing game coordinator if memory serves correctly. Okay, gotcha.
1: That's cool. I'm glad. That that'll be a fun. I'm glad that we all have that that we all
0: collectively now have an SEC team to just root
1: for just with oh. Uh, Zero abandon.
0: If folks are going to be listening to this on Thursday, my cowbell is supposed to come sometime today.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, But back to Ronnie. I I do think Ronnie was the right choice. I, I think people that are upset about it are those people that say, oh, well, he was the quarterback's coach when Christian Hackenberg was in Happy Valley, and Christian Hackenberg didn't really progress. So that clearly was on Ronnie my problem with that logic is that okay for the last two years he was the tight ends coach you know who got way better in the last two years Mike Gasicki and yes he got older and yes the offense changed but if you're going to give Joe Moorhead all the credit for making Gasicki what he is while Ronnie was his coach why is it that Ronnie gets all the blame for Christian Hackenberg when John Donovan was the offensive coordinator like you're you're picking and choosing pieces and it's not it's not fair to ricky ronnie the coach who by all accounts uh is not planning on really changing the offense i'm sure he'll add his own tweaks to it but but he's been sitting with joe moore he's been the passing game coordinator for the last two years he's been in those meetings he's been part of crafting what the penn state offense has become and he's just had a chance to just soak in everything that coach moorehead did so I mean, in that regard, I think you have to love the fact that there's going to be continuity on the offense. But I also think you have to love the fact that his players clearly love him. Mike Isicki, especially, is—I mean, for the last two years, pretty consistently, when he's been on Twitter. I know he goes dark during the season, but when he's on Twitter, is constantly praising Ronnie and love by all accounts loves him and loves the work that they've done together. So I. I think that you have to be happy with Ronnie as a hire because he's a great recruiter, he builds relationships, he'll provide continuity with the offense. He has gotten a chance to learn from lots of different guys. He's had a chance to sit back on the sidelines a little bit more and kind of get a better look at what works, what doesn't work. Like I I know he's not the most wasn't the most exciting name out there, but he's a pretty great hire in my opinion.
0: I I think he I I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say great, just because we don't totally know what he is yet. But based on the information that we know, he knows Penn State, he knows Penn State's personnel. The fact that Penn State isn't going to be completely blowing things up and bringing in an offensive coordinator who doesn't want to continue the path that Penn State is on right now. Because consider the last offensive coordinator change Penn State made was because the last one was bad. Well, that's when you blow everything up. That's when you change the way uh, the offense functions and whatnot. You don't change too many things when what you have is a working winning formula. I mean, Penn State was 10th nationally in points per game, 12th in offensive S&P+. That's not something that you just blow up. And I think James Franklin understands that. I think that keeping Ronnie signifies that it's important to Franklin to keep the offense on the course that it is currently on, and to keep Joe Moorhead's offense in with whatever little tweaks Ronnie uh, and Franklin and whomever else might want to throw in there, uh, as you you know as Penn State heads into next year and as next year goes on and then as we get into the future of Penn State football, uh, that signifies to me that this was always the plan, which meant if they were going to go outside and hire a coordinator the only person they probably would have hired was Andrew Briner and considering how quickly Ronnie a word of Ronnie getting promoted came down I think that from the moment Morehead went I mean yes I would have been very interested to see who James Franklin would have talked to you, you know the Bruce Feldmans of the world and the Brett McMurphys are tossing out there as having conversations about the Penn State job But I think James Franklin probably knew that if Joe Moorhead was leaving, the best thing for Penn State football was to promote Ricky Ronnie. Um, I think all concern probably stems from the fact that he was there when Penn State's offenses were bad, and there's a concern that he will revert to doing things that weren't good. Um, But that kind of ignores the general... Uh, rule of coaching, which is that it is incredibly rare for a coach to do something because they think it won't work. Um, And Ronnie is one smart guy, one of those guys who's been around forever, who I think is going to try and keep Penn State on the course it's on. Um, Nick, I think it is a little unfair to place any big expectations on Ronnie right now. Um, we'll probably get a glimpse during the bowl game and whatnot. But what is, like, do you have any expectations of him right now as we're talking to one another on December 6th, 2017?
1: Personally, no. And I, that's going to be the toughest part of this job for Ronnie. Is he, no matter what he does, whether good or bad, all of it's going to be judged against what Joe Moorhead did. And that's a pretty lofty standard to be judged against. The good news for him is that the offense next year even without Saquon Barkley, should probably be better because the offensive line should be better. Uh, The receivers will all be a year older. Yeah, you lose Deshaun Hamilton, you lose Mike Kosicki, but there's some pretty talented pieces coming back, and Trace McSorley will be a senior. So I guess I I shouldn't say, I guess I won't say should be better. It could be better. Um, But that's going to be the difficult part of this job for Ronnie is that everything he does is going to be judged against his predecessor, and it's kind of the same situation that Bill O'Brien was in when he took over. Everything he did was judged against what Joe Paterno did, and that's was,
0: except on a very much different, different scale, yeah. on a, a very different, different scale, and a
1: very different situation, but a similar a similar mindset at least. Uh, and it's not a situation unique to this one, or was unique to Bill O'Brien, because it happens frequently. I mean, it happened. I mean, it happens every time a good coordinator leaves somewhere or a good coach leaves somewhere. It's going to happen this year at Florida State with Willie Taggart. It's going to happen. Um, I mean, I could go down the list. It's going to happen everywhere, though. So it's it's something that he's going to have to be able to deal with and have to be able to kind of ignore that noise a bit. Um, but considering his experience with the staff and just considering his experience with Penn State, I I feel pretty good about him being able to do that. I personally, I, uh, I, I it's a little too early for me to really expect anything. I, I kind of want to see more um, in the offseason, see how the offense is shaping up, hear what some of the chatter is out of camp, see who, I mean, we don't even know who's going to be here next year or not yet. So uh, it's a little too early for me to really place hard expectations on him but I, I think it's fair to at least expect it maybe not quite as prolific of an offense when all is said and done because it's pretty hard to match what Penn State was 41.7 points per game this year something like that but I yeah. think it's I think it's fair to expect high 30s again
0: I I, I think that the big thing working against Ricky Ronnie is not that he is replacing Joe Moorhead. It is that he is losing Saquon Barkley and Mike Gusecki. Like, like the poor dude has to be the guy like, yes, stepping in for Joe Moorhead's tough, but do you know what is also very tough? Not having Saquon Barkley on your football team. So that's something I'm very interested in. I mean, we're going to talk about transfers in a second. Um, And we're going to mention, you know, Andre Robinson. But the way that he's going to step into the role of coordinating an offense that uh, is probably more or less going to be based around what Miles Sanders can do out of the backfield. That's going to be really interesting to me. And this this is Trace McSorley's offense, but, you know, you have to be able to run and throw the football. And running the football might be a little bit more difficult next year because the best running back in America is going to be gone. And Nick, I think on the subject of the best running back in America, it is time we discuss the Heisman Trophy. Um, so, I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a second. Uh, the way that we in the whole writing and editing business are able to get stories out is because we go, okay, so what is a very obvious thing that is going to happen? Let's write about that so when it becomes official, we could just hit publish. We did that with Saquon Barkley uh, being a finalist for the Heisman Trophy because it was very hard for me to imagine a scenario where he didn't, based on his all-purpose numbers, based on a little bit of a longevity thing, based on the quality of his character that gets hammered so frequently, it was very hard for me to imagine a scenario in which he didn't at least get the chance to go to New York... Uh, the award finalist list drops, and it is Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and Bryce Love. Now, Nick, I think you're with me in that you believe the Heisman voting was always going to end with those three being the top three in some order. Uh, I will eat a shoe if Mayfield doesn't win the award. Uh, Lamar Jackson has been just absolutely insanely good this year and the one thing that is holding the two things that are holding him back are Louisville's 8-4 and four record and the fact that he won it last year and Bryce Love has just been a monster on the ground but having said all of that I can't help but be incredibly disappointed that Barkley isn't going to get the opportunity to sit up on that stage and represent himself and represent Penn State and be honored for what he did this year uh, at the ceremony this weekend. It's absolutely
1: disappointing, but unfortunately I can't really say I'm surprised. The Heisman is, I mean, I'm trying to think of another award that's as surface level and as shallow and as political Um, I guess maybe you could say like uh, maybe gold glove awards in baseball those are pretty much all based on reputation. It's
0: interesting that you say that because I figured one of the big things that would help Barkley and one thing that I had noticed in the past couple of days and weeks and whatnot was they were really hammering home how good of a dude he was in light of baker mayfield uh you know grabbing his crotch against kansas or whatever and kind of being at the center of a firestorm for that so i thought some of the older you know you know those old white voters we always hear about who watch the east coast games and then never stay up for the late games would go i can't I can't in all, uh, in good consciousness vote for that Baker Mayfield boy. I'll vote for, uh, Saquon Barkley's a good dude. So I figured that would happen and we'd be in like a baseball hall of fame scenario where people ignore ability to make a moral argument, but that did not happen with Saquon.
1: I think they do that to a degree, but, and I swear this is at least like the 70th 70th time I've referenced this on the podcast, but the re, the kind of Heisman study I did before the year started, it became really, really apparent by looking at the winners, looking at the voting differentials, looking at the runners up. It became really, really clear that it's it comes down to numbers. It doesn't come down to much else other than numbers, uh, and that's I mean that's one of the main reasons why quarterbacks have won uh, since the turn of the century, they've won all but three of the Heisman trophies. And it's, that's why they put up the most gaudy numbers. They have the opportunity to put up the most gaudy numbers. And the guys that were not quarterbacks that won, uh, Reggie Bush, Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. I mean, Derek Henry's was just pure volume getting him, more, uh, and, and, that, rushing and, yards that year and yeah, that was a farce, yeah. but yeah. Um, uh, then, uh, what did I say, Mark Ingram's year, uh, that was the same year as Ndamukong Sue I Who believe. Ndamukong Sue got robbed. Su got robbed. Yeah.
0: He deserves the Heisman retroactively.
1: Yes. It, um, and then uh, Reggie Bush's year uh, should have been Vince Young's, but that's arguing for oh, a And, is and maybe not even should that have been. It, it's tough, but uh, it's it's just a very...
0: <laughs> it's a quarterback being, award. It is a quarterback's award.
1: Yeah, For being the most quote-unquote prestigious award in football it's it's so meaningless in the end because it's all based on box scores and to a degree it should be because what you produce on the field is important but there's other things to consider and I think I can take solace in the fact I I mean Saquon lost the Heisman when his offensive line lost to form that that much was clear in uh, by the end of by the middle by the beginning of November that much was clear that the Heisman was lost because his offensive line couldn't give him holes and because Baker Mayfield was ripping the big 12 apart so in that sense it's I, I really wish he was in New York because he deserves to be there but I also know and I think most people who know things also know that he is pound for pound the best player in college football and I yeah. that counts for something at least
0: and an important thing to remember, like. It would have, to be 100% clear, not only do I think Baker Mayfield should win this award, I would be legitimately mad if anyone other than him won it because he's been insanely good this year. So, like, to be 100% clear, I'm not sitting here and saying Saquon deserves the award. Like, I think uh, Mayfield deserves the award, award more, and I do think that... Lamar Jackson, if he didn't win it last year, is making this a fight with Baker Mayfield that Mayfield would ultimately win because of his, win, uh, his team's win-loss record, neither here nor there. But, having said all that, I think that it's just one of those things. Penn State has not had a finalist. Nick, when was Penn State's last finalist for the Heisman Trophy? You might have looked this up, but I just want to see if you know this.
1: Uh, I'm assuming Larry Johnson?
0: In 2002. It has been 15 years since Penn State has sent someone to the Heisman Ceremony, and I think that would have just been a really cool thing for the program. And then, of course, I, like everyone, I just wanted Saquon Barkley to go there. I wanted him to get—he's I, I he's going to get plenty of awards and accolades and validation. He's going to make a bunch of first-team All-American teams. He's going to win a bunch of additional awards. He's already won the Award, War— uh, There's going to be... He might win the Walter Camp, win the Maxwell, uh, all that stuff, but I I still... There's something about saying that you were one of the guys who was there for the Heisman Trophy, that it still... Even though I agree with you to an extent about the... uh, You know, the politics behind the award and the fact that it's kind of gotten away from its mission to honor things other than box scores... And you know it's such—it's a media-driven award. Uh, Lamar Jackson won the award last year because he had such a good first month, and then he built up such a gap that the fact that he sputtered down the stretch didn't matter. All those things—it there's still a—he like, he was playing Mario Kart, and right. he was so
1: far ahead that when he got hit by the blue shell, he still had time to rev back exactly. up and get to the finish line.
0: The, yes, yes. I mean that's a very silly way of putting it, but yes, that's 100 percent accurate. But having said all that, there's still all a, life
1: is Mario Kart.
0: <laughs> there is still a heft and an importance that comes from getting to say you are there to potentially win the Heisman Trophy, and I. It, it, it's unfortunate he's not going to get that opportunity. Uh, I very much hope that he does not try. That does not lead him to go. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to try and come back next year and win it because that would make me very upset. But. You know what, I I mean, for how great Saquon Barkley is, it would have been nice getting that last little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, once it became obvious that Mayfield was going to win it, which I do think part of that was Barkley losing the award because it seemed like everyone, everyone out there was, after the... Iowa game, and then after the Michigan game, after those two games, it seemed like it was as safely his as an award could be. Uh, then the Ohio State game happened. Then the Michigan State ha- game happened. I want to say the Michigan State game happened on the same day as Bedlam, when Baker Mayfield just put up like video game numbers against Oklahoma State in a in a really thrilling win. And at that point, it was kind of just over. So. Yeah, you agree with me that Mayfield is going to probably run away with this, correct?
1: I can't see any situation where he doesn't.
0: Yeah, unless literally every West Coast voter went one Bryce Love to Saquon Barkley through Lamar Jackson or something ridiculous like that. Or if, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, we get those uh, Baseball Hall of Fame-esque voters who are trying to make a statement that they'll never stick up for something so abhorrent as... You know, grabbing your crotch on television or being mean to Kansas or whatever. Saquon's
1: uh, going to be a top five pick, yes. much higher
0: than any of those guys. So, oh, in the yeah. end, oh, yeah. he's going to
1: make that paper. He's going to make more money. He's yeah. going to have a better NFL career. I think, the so, import-
0: I think the important thing to remember here is that Baker Mayfield is not going to be a good NFL quarterback. Uh, future part- Denver Bronco. R- really? You don't think he has future Cleveland Brown written all over him?
1: No, no. That's too early. I mean, if he drops to the second round, sure, but. I could totally see the Broncos grabbing him.
0: PFF had a mock draft out about a week ago that had him... Not a week ago. uh, About a month ago. Yeah, sorry. I misspoke. Uh, That had Mayfield going number one to the Browns. And I saw that and I went, you know what, Cleveland Browns? If you're going to do that, God bless you because you, you... that's just the most Browns move it could be. You take a, gener- you take a general all... talent last year in Miles Garrett, and now you're going to saddle him up with a quarterback who one can't see ahead of a line of scrimmage, see over a line of scrimmage, and two is probably more like Johnny Manziel than anyone would like to admit.
1: I think it's clear that if the Browns have if the Browns take a quarterback in the first round, it's going to be Josh Allen. They're not gonna take. They're not gonna take the the safe. <laughs> it's kind of weird to think of Josh Rosen as the safe pick, but I guess that's where we are. Uh, Sam Darnold. Eh, I don't know, but Josh Allen sound, sounds like a Cleveland Brown to me. Bill. Bill, where'd you go?
0: Oh hi, Nick. Hi. 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 Yeah, I don't I don't know what just happened. I think there was like something up with uh yeah, I turn okay, fine. I turned off my microphone so I could open a can of seltzer and it wouldn't interrupt the flow of the podcast. Sorry. But yeah, uh I, we'll, we'll edit it all this out. No, no, we're not. We're not going to. This is good tape. Uh, no, wherever no. Saquon Barkley goes, I've mentioned this on the podcast. Wherever he and Mike Geseki go, uh, I'm buying their jerseys. So I'm rooting for them to go to a team that has please very. Please cool don't go to San Francisco, Saquon. Please. I go back and forth on that because I think their red jerseys might, with like the gold trim, might be my favorite jerseys in the NFL. So.
1: Send Saquon to the Giants. No, no, ew, no.
0: Or the Colts. Ew, no,
1: no. Let him play in Lucas Oil forever.
0: Have you seen the Colts' offensive line? Like, ever. routes. Saquon deserves to go to a team that, like, believes in offensive line play. I don't know what team that is, but he deserves to go there. Any – this –
1: even the worst NFL offensive line is going to open up a hell of a lot more holes than Penn State's did this year. I know, he doesn't but, need much. But he, he also, doesn't need much.
0: He, he all he deserves it. Uh, I know he doesn't need much. But I mean, also consider that NFL players are faster and stronger and all that. But neither here nor I either. mean,
1: what? if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about offensive line situations that have improved drastically? There's one in Seattle that's been quite passable over the last few weeks. And I just saw a mock draft the other day that had Derwin James somehow dropping to the Seahawks at like 24. So why not Berkeley?
0: Yeah, that's not happening. I'm I'm going to look up or, uh, or give
1: us Darwin James. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, that'd be fine. I'm quick, real quick, and sorry about this, folks. I'm going to pull up the uh, current NFL draft order, uh, and I'm just going to go straight down. Nick and can I guess? We'll, we'll go. No, the we'll go to we will go to fifteen. Uh, well, no, because fifteen is Dallas, and fourteen are the uh, Chargers. So we and they're all five hundred teams. So we'll go with every sub five hundred teams, and just yes or no on whether or not you want them to draft Saquon. Okay. Okay. One Cleveland. No. Two New York, the Giants. Yes. Three San Francisco. No. Four Denver.
1: Uh, sure.
0: Five Indianapolis. Uh, Yes. Six Chicago.
1: Um, it'd be cool to see him with Amos, but they already have Howard and um, what's his face? So no.
0: They have another good. Yeah, I can't think of his name.
1: Uh, Cohen. Cohen.
0: Oh, uh, why can't I not? Whatever. Nobody cares. Tariq Cohen. There we go. Uh, Seven is Cleveland. Again, which you (laughs) said no the (laughs) first time. Uh, Billy O, good job. You lost your chance to Saquon Barkley. Uh, Eight, Tampa.
1: Um, no.
0: If if Tampa were to get a head coach in, who I didn't think was a total idiot, Jameis and Mike Evans and Saquon and... OJ. With with
1: a a new coach, yes. Yes, with a new coach. Nine Cincinnati. And Chris Godwin.
0: And Chris Godwin, yeah, that's right. Uh nine Cincinnati. No. I'm 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 gonna veto whatever you say. Uh ten Arizona.
1: No, no. Please, not the NFC West. Him and David Johnson would be awesome. I mean yeah, that I mean they wouldn't do that
0: anyway, so it's fine. Uh eleven the Jets. No, God, no. Twelve, Washington. No, because he'd have to play at FedEx Field. And I don't want to have to buy their jersey ever. And 13, Miami. I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah, that's that's very much a sure. Uh, so, as uh, Nick and I are sitting here, the only logical explanation is for Atlanta or Green Bay to trade up and get him. Moving on! Or the Seahawks. Uh, no. Uh, moving on. Uh, we talked or about the Penn Patriots. State. No. No. Don't do that. Uh... Tra- transfers. Let's talk about transfers. Saquon Barkley leaving. He's not the only loss. Penn State is going to suffer in its backfield. Uh, and we and... don't know for sure. Well, no, we do know for sure on one in Andre Robinson. Uh, one thing we're not oh, going to do... I
1: thought you were saying Saquon transferred.
0: Or Sa- not Saquon tra- No, Sa- Saquon's is probably going for the draft. I-, I would be very stunned if he does not. Uh, Andre Robinson I'd be, going... I'd be more stunned if he transferred. Yes. <laughs> Andre Robinson is leaving Penn State. Um... We're not going to speculate on anything else. I, I want to get out in front of this right now. Uh, we're not going to speculate on guys who think are going to leave, uh, spots that could open up, uh, you know, how all this stuff impacts recruiting or anything like that. So, um, But there will be
1: other transfers.
0: In almost, almost certainly there will be. Uh, Andre Robinson, we know he's leaving. Alex Barbier, we know he's leaving. Uh, I want to start with Barbier, Nick, just because... I think that it's very easy to kind of laugh, like, oh, the backup kicker's leaving, whatever. But quietly losing him is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it is.
1: Um, Granted, he's been hurt a good portion of the time that he's been with Penn State, so it's, uh, at least I think, I might be remembering incorrectly, but... I, I think believe he's he had been an injured injury
0: last year and it was it kind of had him like up in the air on this year but he ended up yeah. uh, performing well later in if memory serves on that but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah. I, I f- yes, it, it's not terribly exciting to see him go but I think you almost kind of had it was almost a little bit expected once they Uh, Grabbed uh, once they gave Jake Pinniger a scholarship because it's not super common to have two kickers on the same roster with a scholarship, so that was a little curious uh, from the get go. So it kind of it makes more sense now. This is probably something that the staff knew was coming, but I think this is probably more, um, more on the fact that they have high hopes for Pinniger and he'll be a true freshman. So. And true freshman and college kickers are weird enough. A true freshman college kicker surely going to run in some difficulties. Uh, we saw Quinn Nardine at Michigan, who was awesome for the first six games, and then he missed that extra point against Penn State, and then it kind of fell off the kind of fell off the rails a little bit for him. So uh, I think it wouldn't be surprising to see Pinneger experience something similar, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's not super con- it's not super confidence inducing to know that Penn State's kicker next year is going to be a true freshman. But it is what
0: it is. Yeah, I mean unfortunately it's something that it, it's something that happens uh like you mentioned, having two scholarship kickers would have been uh a little weird. Uh, I I think especially that for
1: a team strug- that's gonna struggle to fit under the mm-hmm. roster cap as is.
0: So it seemed like kind of a foregone conclusion that Penn State was going to have to shed a kicker scholarship somewhere, and uh, when we saw that the coaching staff did an in-home to, with Alex Pinnegar the other day, Jake that, Jake Jake Pinneger that meant Alex Barbier's uh, future. It seemed like that probably sealed Alex Barbier's future. Uh, so, someone who seemed to really love being a Penn State or someone who got a few opportunities this year, uh, mostly on kickoffs. And, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit worried. I don't know what Penn State's going to do on kickoffs next year. I, they, I know they have a few walk-on kickers on the roster. I'm not sure uh, their names, unfortunately. I can pull that up here in a moment, but neither here nor there. Uh, one of them, maybe they give Blake Gillikin the opportunity to do kickoffs. Hell, maybe Blake Gillikin is just their kicker for any, everything. Who knows? Who cares? He's very good. I'm sure he could get that job done. But
1: Jake Pinniger also has a huge leg. Like, yeah. an incredibly powerful leg. Is there
0: a video of him kicking one in from 70? Yes. I feel yeah. I feel like there is, and I'm not sure why, but...
1: Yeah, yeah there is.
0: Yeah. So, big. Le- even if that's just how he gets settled into things, and Blake Gillikin handles punting, and then they have someone who does kickoffs and maybe point after, that's fine. I mean, get him in- into the swing of things. Uh, and then Andre Robinson, who... I think losing him probably upset Penn State fans not because he, uh, you know, not because he's bad or anything or, or, you know, he's going to be a superstar or anything like that, but just because, like, he's the Bishop McDevitt kid. He's the one who kind of opened up a pipeline to a school that Penn State had had an historically frosty relationship with, loved being a Penn Stater, loved... Uh, being around Saquon. I, my lasting memory of him is after he scored his first touchdown, Saquon runs onto the field, and he was the happiest guy out of the 100,000 who were in Beaver Stadium that Saturday. Um, Nick, him leaving, it's unfortunate. its he, He's a guy who I think we all would have wanted to see uh, not get the starting job next year, but have a defined role as the team's short yardage back who goes in and uh a load to take down i mean even if he's averaging four and a half yards a carry it's a very hard and four and a half yards where where does penn state's backfield go from here well from
1: here i think next year it's we can expect uh miles sanders clearly will be the starter I think Ricky Slade is probably going to jump journey Brown on the depth chart. What maybe Ricky Slade doesn't appear um, only as a running back. I think we'll see him out of the slot. I think we'll see him all over just because he's an extremely dynamic athlete, but I think we'll see all three play. I think they'll, they'll find ways to get journey Brown and his speed on the field. And maybe he turns into a slot receiver. I don't know, but uh, it's, I mean, it's going to be those three waiting to see whether Mark Allen decides to stay or not. I believe, I mean, I'm sure he's graduated at this point, so he will have the option to play elsewhere, or he'll have the option to just hang him up after this year, so we'll see on him. But it's going to be a thin depth chart, and uh, Jonathan Thomas is still there hanging around as as well. He's kind of been a guy that has been thought of as maybe as a transfer candidate for a couple of years now. He's bounced back and forth between running back and linebacker, so we'll see about him. But it's going to be a thin depth chart, and... Hopefully that doesn't lead to problems, um, but at the same time, I, I'm looking forward to Andre Robinson getting a chance to uh, really hopefully go somewhere where he can have a, at least a highly important job as maybe a split starter or hopefully a starter somewhere because he is a really talented player. I think a lot of people forget that when the initial set of rankings came out for that class of 2015 there were three big time running backs in Pennsylvania and it was Andre Robinson, Saquon Barkley, and uh, Josh, Josh Adams. Uh, at, by the end I think Adams was still ranked slightly below Robinson and ended up Barkley Robinson and then Adams but Andre Robinson was a big time recruit. Like, he was highly sought after. (coughs) He broke LaShawn McCoy's records. Yeah. That's, (laughs) I mean, that's saying something. LaShawn McCoy, think about how good he is now. He's, I mean, he was that good in high school. So that's a big deal. And he was a big time recruit. And his, uh, I don't want to say torn ACL because I don't remember for sure if it was, but he picked up a pretty serious injury during his senior year of high school. It took him until his redshirt freshman year when he was even really healthy again, I believe. So he had a pretty significant roadblock at the start of his college career and never really got going. And Saquon Barkley was Saquon Barkley, and he got on the field as a true freshman and just ran with it from there. So never really got the chance to show what he was made of. Only got pretty limited carries here and there. So hopefully he gets a chance to go somewhere and show why he he was so highly touted.
0: Indeed. And, like, any time you're losing a kid who, in addition to being a really talented football player, just seems to have that, like, intangible thing about them that can inherently connects them to a fan base, it hurts. Um, but, writing was kind of on the wall this year. He didn't... He The ball was not put in his ha- hands... After the Michigan, he had one catch against Michigan, one carry against Northwestern, four carries against Iowa, two against Georgia State, and two against Akron. That was it for output for him this year. He didn't do too terribly much. I don't think the staff lets him get away without a massive fight unless they don't think Miles Sanders can handle the load next year with whatever they get out of Ricky Slade, uh, whatever they get out of Journey Brown, and whatever. Assuming able, they they say Mark Allen and Jonathan Thomas do, but yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I think that one really bugged me. Uh, I'm gonna share. No, no, I'll share my Andre Robinson story. Like I, he was. I will never forget after Penn State won the Big Ten championship game, 4 a.m. I am at. Uh, steak and shake in downtown Indianapolis. I might have had one beer and that was it. And I'm just sitting there minding my own business as Penn State's football players are coming through getting a bite to eat after the game. And I will never for the rest of my life forget Saquon being in there and poor goddamn Andre Robinson is dealing. He is there in a Letterman jacket the exact same Letterman jacket Saquon has on standing next to Saquon Barkley And these drunk college students keep coming up to him for some reason and going, is that Saquon Barkley? To which Andre Robinson kept saying, I don't know who that is. For as long as I live, I will remember just laughing controllably at the sadness of those people and the stone-facedness of Andre Robinson as he was turning away people who wanted to meet Saquon Barkley. Um, Yeah, wherever he lands ends up that team's going to get themselves a really good running back, a really physical running back. I would love it if he was able to go to Mississippi State. Him and Nick Fitzgerald in that backfield would be – that would hurt so bad for other teams. Um, but, yeah, we no idea where he's going, anything like that. And, yeah, all the best to him and all the best to Alex Barbier. Uh, Nick, real quick, before we leave, uh, we're going to do some uh, – we're going to do a much bigger and more comprehensive – a Fiesta Bowl breakdown uh, week or two in the future. But before we do that, I mean, bowl matchup. Fiesta Bowl, Penn State against Washington. What are your thoughts? Do you like it? you hate it? Uh, do you wish Penn State was going somewhere else? Do you wish Penn State was playing a different team than Washington? Uh, just what were the thoughts going through your head when you saw Penn State's matchup? First thought
1: disappointed they weren't playing in Florida, although there wasn't really a realistic chance for them to play in Florida if it was a New Year's Six Bowl, um, because I'll be there around New Year's Eve, so it would have been nice to be able to time that up. But second thought, hell yes. I have wanted this matchup with Washington. I think I said before the year started, I predicted that we would play Washington in a bowl. I don't know if that was in Slack or documented somewhere, but I have been pining for this matchup for over a year now, because I, I, just I mean, first of all, I my Twitter timeline is basically a half and half split between Penn State people and Seattle people, and most of those Seattle people are Husky fans. Uh, some of them are Washington State fans, but most of them are Husky fans because, uh, I mean, that's just the majority of fans in the state of Washington. So. In that regard, I'm really excited to see the two sides of my Twitter timeline clash. I know a lot of people that are Washington fans, clearly know a lot of people that are Penn State fans, so it'll be fun to kind of see both sides of that. But in just matchup-wise, I think it's a really interesting matchup. Washington has a great, great, great defense that I'm excited to see Penn State go up against. They have a good but inconsistent offense that I'm excited to see Penn State's defense play against. Going into this year, it was widely. If you run down the list of top returning quarterback running back duos, Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley were kind of the runaway favorites in that category, but Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin were a close second. Miles Gaskin is the same year Saquon Barkley. There was a lot of talk when Barkley was a freshman, who was the better of the two running backs. Gaskin, I think, started most of that year, so his numbers looked a little better. But those two, while Penn State fans not might not really know it as much, have kind of been following along that same path, along with guys like Darius Geis. So in that regard, I think it's an interesting matchup. Uh, special teams, I think, is really cool. So Austin Pettis for Washington, I believe is only one. I believe is only one return touchdown off the record for college football and Penn State has Blake Gilligan and their punt coverage all year has been outstanding so that's a really cool matchup uh Chris Peterson is an awesome coach James Franklin proven to be an awesome coach so it'll be cool to see and Washington's down their offense coordinator as well um he's the new head coach at Oregon State so similar situations there how are both teams going to respond with new coaches the the rest of the staffs are both awesome they're really great coaches established coaches I just think there's so many different storylines to follow in this game. And also the fact that I don't know when the last time Penn State-Washington played. I mean, it's a a cool matchup because you don't often get to see Penn State go up against teams from that far away. We saw them play USC last year for the first time in a while. Um, Washington just played Rutgers this this year and last year. But other than that, it's not like they're typically over here on the East Coast for out-of-conference games. So it's cool to see them against a traditional East Coast power. I, there's just so many different ways that my head is... So many different ways you can wrap your head around this game. So many different ways my mind is moving. And, uh, I mean, moving forward on this podcast, I, I know a bunch of Husky people. We can get at least a couple on here to talk about the Huskies. And we should have some, be able to get some really cool insights on them. And I, I just think it's a really, really cool and interesting matchup. That is different and new, and maybe not as flashy as like a Penn State, I don't know, Penn State Auburn game or something like that. But I think it's underratedly could end up being one of the better bowl games. And not that it's not expected to be a good bowl game; it's near a six game. But uh, I think it has a chance to be maybe the best game outside of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I I don't. I I think that after. after Georgia, Oklahoma, because I, I don't think Clemson, Alabama is going to be an especially fun football game. Uh, after Georgia, Oklahoma, and like USC, Ohio State, I think this is the morning line favorite for being the most fun uh, bowl game that we're going to see. I, like you said, I'm really interested because the thing that there are two things that Washington does incredibly well. They're a very efficient football team. They are 23rd in rushing success rate on offense and 4th in passing success rate on offense. They're very good at just chipping away at you and you know picking up a couple yards and 4-4-3 you know, four, four, or whatever you need to do in order to move the football. They're good at that. And I'm very interested in seeing how Penn State is able to go up against a team that they have the ability to bust out those big plays but they're not going to go for it all the time. And then on the other side of the ball, Washington is first in defensive uh, ISO PPP, uh, four factors, uh, measure of explosiveness, first in defensive ISO PPP, first in rushing ISO PPP, and second in passing ISO PPP. The one thing that this defense will not let you do is bust out big plays. And of course, while Penn State isn't as reliant on the big play as it was last year, it is still an offense that likes to go to that well. So watching that battle uh, when Penn State is on offense and Washington is on defense, and we'll go into why uh, that is the case for the Huskies and how Penn State can maybe take advantage of that in future episodes of the podcast. It's going to be interesting. And then the other side of the ball, just the chess match between Jake Browning and... And uh, Jason Cabinda is going to be really fun. And then like you mentioned, Nick, I, the, the most interesting part of this game, and this is not a super Big Ten thing, or it's not meant to be the super Big Ten thing that it's coming off as, Dante Pettis is legitimately one of the best punt returners in college football history. He is the best in the country right now, uh, in my eyes, But he is also one of the, probably, he's a top five punt returner in the sports history. And watching Blake Gillikin try to take him out of the game is going to be awesome. And watching how Penn State's special teams players, uh, the guys who were able to get down the field, when... uh, for example, when Irvin Charles is able to get down the field and he's making plays and not committing uh you know, committing penalties, he's a really, really good gunner. Nick Scott, really, really good gunner. That's going to be fascinating. I would not be surprised if they're able to break off one or two big returns just because Pettis is that good. But I would be also be very surprised if Penn State gave them too many opportunities to get to that point. So yeah, we'll break down the game a little bit more. Uh, I wish Penn State was going to the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl. Um, those were the two I had my eye on. It's not going to happen. Uh, I was able to parlay this into a trip to Vegas, though. So at the end of the day, we are champions. Uh, and yeah, I, I think this game's going to be fun. That's
1: good. So you'll So you'll be in Vegas for that, and yeah. then I'll be in Vegas when Penn State basketball makes the Final Four.
0: Oh, well, no, I'm going to Vegas for two days before the game, and then I'm going down for the game, and then I'm doing New Year's Eve in Philly. So I'm making sure that by the time New Year's Day rolls around and all the good football is happening, I'm just like half asleep the entire time. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I think this is a really cool opportunity. Uh, this is something that Penn State fans just don't get the chance to do against an opponent that Penn State just does not play. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be something that I think for how much I wanted you know, a matchup uh, maybe with Miami in the Orange Bowl or maybe some, maybe like Penn State against, I don't know, Auburn or something in the Peach Bowl. The fact that we're getting Penn State and Washington in the Fiesta Bowl, even though I would have liked Penn State and Washington in the Cotton Bowl a lot more, is still going to be pretty great, and I'm excited for it. And I'm excited that we are finally going to have an edition of the podcast, Nick, that gets posted because we just had not been able to do Woo. that in a while. Woo! Yeah, celebrate. Uh... As always, thank you for listening to uh, our very stupid, very fun podcast. Head on to iTunes, leave us a five star review, leave us a rating, do all that fun, happy crap that you hear me talk about all the time. Subscribe on all the various podcast platforms that we have out there. Uh, you know them by heart by now. And I only say this because I don't know them by heart by now. Follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, Roar Lions Roar. Uh, keep reading the site, keep supporting the site, keep buying shirts, shirts keep doing all that stuff uh, and yeah, one last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio, for Nick Pollock, I am Bill Filippo. take care y'all
1: I'll be on the couch because technically I'm homeless